volunteer. And um, I, I, I love being with my church family. And, and I have to say, but for this morning and leading up to, uh, I have eagerly anticipated this time together. Um, I, I am overwhelmed with what the Lord might could do uh, in our midst together as we are willingly evaluating our lives before the Lord. Because I think at this point, in the book of Amos, and that's where we're going to be again, uh, we're in the series of Amos, we'll be in chapter 4 this morning, but at this point in our time, and we've only had several weeks in this, I don't think I need to tell you that each week is going to provide us an opportunity to really consider our walks with the Lord. We will evaluate our obedience. We're often going to turn towards repentance as the Lord convicts and as he directs our time together. Now, this, this is good for us. But I'll admit, it's difficult. It's not always easy. Even just a short amount of time, even as we walk out each week, we're like, Whoo, wow, well, that's a lot to chew on. But let us be mindful this morning that it is good for us. But I want to acknowledge that it is difficult. But in all of that, I do not want us to miss grace. To miss the hope that we have in Christ who took upon himself all that we deserve. I don't want us to miss that. I don't want us to miss the joy that comes from engaging, and I mean really engaging, our hearts with God. Sure, conviction will come. Not a big fan just like you. But conviction will come. But do you know that conviction gives way to repentance? That gives way to forgiveness? That gives way to maturity and intimacy with God and one another. Well, that's good and necessary for us to give ourselves to this morning. So would you embrace each and every moment of our time in Amos? Let us be willing to come and engage our hearts. You know, as one person told me, he said, you know, now that I think about it, we've looked at suffering from others because we follow God in First Peter. Remember that? Now we are looking at suffering brought on by ourselves because of not following God. Yes, that's what we're doing. And today's text is no different. <laughs> today's text will be direct. But in that directness, it reveals God's grace as well. Let's read chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 6, and we're going to go down to verse 11. If you have your Bible, certainly follow along. If you don't, it'll, it'll be up on the screens for you as well. So verse 6 in chapter 4. This is the Lord speaking again through Amos. I gave you cleanliness of teeth. Odd phrase, right? We'll get there. In all your cities, and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blithe and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, 
declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verses 6 through 11 reveal the gracious pursuit of God. Now, I can hear your thoughts right now. You might be saying, hold up, (laughs) after, did you just not read the same thing that I read? You read it out loud, but surely you were processing what you read, because after reading that, it would be easy to believe that that doesn't feel very gracious. You actually might be wondering, how can you, pastor, make such a claim? It seems odd. When all the things that we just read and all the things that the Lord did were difficult and harsh, how can this reveal God's graciousness? Well, I can say this because of what we've learned in the book of Amos. Remember back in chapter 3, verse 3, remember that uh, rhetorical question, do two people meet without agreeing? What we learned is that, yes, two people meet because they have agreed. They walk down the street that they have agreed upon. Remember all of those questions? This reminded us that the Lord and his people, Israel, they are very clear on what it looks like for God to be faithful to them and what it looks like for them To be faithful to him, there is no ambiguity. But here's what's fascinating about this entire book that that honestly, as I've studied, it has been a bit surprising and overwhelming to me that that made sense to me. It was clear on what God's faithfulness looked like. It was clear on what they were to do to be faithful. Do you know what else is clear in God pursuing and making covenant with them? What was also clear is that what faithfulness, not only what faithfulness looks like, but what was so, so clear is how the Lord would pursue them if they drifted. The Lord had made a provision and said, hey, if you drift, here's what I would do. Here's what I will do to call you back to myself when you're un." faithful. The Lord in grace long before these moments has said, here's what it will look like when I pursue you. Here's what it will look like when you are drifting and getting off course. Let me make it plain. And don't you know that it would come in all the ways we see in this section. Now, if you're Want to nerd out a little bit? This is commonly called covenant curses, if you want to look it up. Deuteronomy 28 in particular. And there's many of them. But what we find out that the point of all of this, the point of the Lord making it plain what he would do, the point is they were used to bring Israel back to God, to get them back on the streets to join God back on the right path. And don't take my word for it. Listen to these scriptures from Deuteronomy where all this stuff is being established. Deuteronomy 4, listen to this, verses 30 through 31. When you are in tribulation, that's referencing everything we just read, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you. This is is brilliant. Every parent will resonate. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. He will 
not forget. Chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, if that one doesn't do it for you, maybe this one will float your boat. Verses 1 to 3. And when all these things come upon you, everything that we just read, these types of things, and it goes on to say the blessings and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey, as a result, his voice, and all that I command you with all of your hearts, with all of your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. You see, here Moses is telling the people of God, the people of Israel, what would occur as they chased other idols. God would bring, out of grace and mercy and love, would bring great tribulation. But the intent was to wake up. And that echo, that was weird. Wake up. God would bring these things to do that. And then later in Deuteronomy, like I've already referenced, a large list of these covenant curses are spelled out, just so everyone is clear. (laughs) There are many types. You can read it if you like. Each one of them signifying, sounding the alarm, if you will, that they were off the path. It's like the ridges that are cut into the edges of the blacktop on the interstate. You ever drifted over there a little too far? And when your tire hits those little ridges cut into the pavement, a loud noise springs up, indicating you better turn back onto the road. This obnoxious, loud, terrible noise is intended to save your life. The Lord has been sounding the alarm. If you will, their tires are hitting the edge and danger awaits them. Wake up. So here in verses 6 through 11, the Lord, you hear all these actions? The Lord gives, withholds, strikes down, sins, kills, carries, mates, and overthrow. He works tirelessly to show the foolishness of what they have been depending on. And in doing so, revealing his goodness once again. Now, the time frame of all these things specifically, when they occurred, it's hard to say, but I guarantee you, the people receiving these words from Amos on, uh, that God is giving through Amos, they would have been clear. And the hope is that it would have caused them to say, oh, the Lord has been pursuing us for a while. Notice the multitude of things. First up, the Lord gave famine. That's what clean teeth means. Because it's not so plain, but the very next line gives us a definition of what clean teeth is. Lack of bread. You had nothing to dirty your teeth up. You had nothing to eat. They couldn't eat. And in not eating, it should have triggered at least a a glancing consideration of God. Since he is the provider of all things. And since it was a clear, distinct way that the Lord would pursue, you would think, well, maybe we should look into this. But what we learn here in this first one is Israel did not return to the Lord. Did you hear the constant refrain of this section? Did you hear the the, the course, if you will, the repeated phrase to make a point Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. That is all that can be said about them. If famine wasn't enough, the Lord continued to pursue it in a multitude of ways. And secondly, what we hear is that a lot of rain was withheld. And this rain was withheld, and it caused what? Drought, not only any old drought, but at a crucial 
time. Droughts would be difficult, but to have it just kind of pierce right at the most specific time might say, oh, well, that was strategic. But in this drought, they could not grow necessary food. They couldn't even begin the process of producing what they needed because there was no rain. Did you catch how odd it was about this rain? There was lack of rain on some places. There was rain on other places. Even that alone. Well, it's raining here, but not there. Oh, but it's raining there, but not here. This odd weather thing occurring, in particular of rain, seems to reveal that the Lord indeed was in control. Not only the lack and therefore the supply, but also from urban areas to rural areas. All are affected. People are having to roam into other cities looking for water. Hey, I'm parched. Do you have water here? You would think that as they're moving about to each of these cities, as the desperation is welling up and they're looking for help from one another, that someone might have posed the question, maybe we should pray. Maybe this desperation and having to go to one another, perhaps someone could have made the connection. Maybe someone could have said, whoa, wait, 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 wait a minute. Doesn't the Torah say something about God using drought to pursue, to warn? I mean, you've traveled hundreds of miles to get water. And maybe next week I'll have to travel. I mean, you would also think that the king, who, by the way, was supposed to copy the first five of the books of the Bible, and in that includes the covenant curses, the ridges on the side of the road to know when the tire's hitting it, you would think the king at some point would make the connection. Yet, they did not Return to the Lord. That's just two things. Oh, but there's more. Thirdly, we learn that the Lord struck with blithe and mildew and locust devoured crops. All the things that yield essential food, as we've already been seeing, but now it's getting more. And not only the things that yield essential foods, but material to be able to build stuff, be productive, all of it was taken away. See the comprehensive gardens, vineyards, fig trees, olive trees. Not only could they not eat, which has already happened several times, but added to that is that they couldn't even be productive. Everything that they needed to be productive and help one another, all of it is gone. All the materials for them to do anything is taken away. Once again, the Lord pursues in a manner that all had agreed upon, yet nothing. They did not return to the Lord. Fourth, we learn that the Lord engages in a host of activities. And each of these activities would have been known by God's people as the Lord pursuing them. He sent pestilence, no food again, killed young men, carried away their horses, made stench go up in their nostrils. It sounds intense. That's because it is. Because what do verses 4 through 10, what do they reveal? They reveal two things, pestilence and war. That's what it means by the loss of young men. War had taken out a considerable amount of young men. Their horses had been taken away. The only means by which they could defend themselves from the young men to the horses, all gone. They are now powerless. And in the powerlessness... Don't you think they would say, well, perhaps maybe we should reach to the one who's full of power. War had rendered them defenseless. 
and it left a stitch in their camp. I find this fascinating. Now smell is involved. Now all five senses are engaged in the Lord's pursuit. Now they can smell it. They've been seeing it. They've felt the hunger pains. They know they don't have much, and now they can smell it. The Lord is engaging them in every avenue to awaken them, to grab their attention, even their smell. The aroma of rotting flesh should have jolted their hearts to an awareness of how, their, how rotten their faith had become. Lastly, the Lord overthrew some. But do you catch how he does it? Like Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't have to be much of a Bible reader to know what that means. To know about that place and what it represents. Here we see that at some point in their history up to this point, they have been reduced to nothing. And they have become like the worst historical destruction known to them. Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the worst judgment. It was reserved when Israel completely abandoned Have you noticed the progressive nature of God's pursuit here? Have you noticed that he has done everything to awaken them? And at some level, we could probably say they are lucky to be alive. Oh, but we know there's a lot more than luck going on here. Like a charred piece of wood from the remains of a fire, so are they. In God's gracious pursuit. Notice the progression. Notice the willingness to continue to pursue. Notice the willingness to come at every angle to awaken them. It makes you wonder how much has to occur. How much much has to happen for them to open their eyes? Yet in all of this, they do not return to the Lord. You may not see it as gracious, but brothers and sisters and those visiting us, God's pursuit is always gracious. To sound the alarm, to cut ridges in your life so when your tire starts hitting it, is the most loving, gracious, merciful thing he can do. Yet, they do not return to the Lord. Apparently, there had been ample opportunity. Therefore, verses 12 to 13. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel. Because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Paul's dramatic effect, but let that, like, prepare to meet your God. Verse 13, for behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thoughts, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Yet they don't return. Therefore, the Lord says, prepare to meet your God. Don't you love the personal tone? You know who I am. You know it all. You have declared that I am your God, and therefore I will be faithful to that. Prepare to meet your God. The miseries they have tasted are only samplings. A full range of miseries are coming. Almost like that old phrase, you hadn't seen nothing yet. This statement means that, yes, they must prepare. Here is yet another moment because God will continue to be God. He will be who he said he was from the beginning. 
When he agreed to walk down the road, he agreed to walk down the road. In grace, he pursued. In grace, he has worked. He has labored to show them their ways. In faithfulness, God has done what he said he would do, which, to make plain, is pursue them in their unfaithfulness so that they would return. He said he would do that. He loves them too much to leave them the way they are. So he has been pursuing. It should have been clear. And all he can do now is to continue to be faithful to them by pursuing them. Even when it means discipline and wrath. Prepare, O Israel, to meet your God, who is the same today, tomorrow, and next year. His Faithfulness knows no end. Prepare. You know what is to come. It is not a secret. God has been plain. He does not hide. He's not trying to pull a trick on them. In love and grace, he has done nothing but pursue, and he will continue to pursue. God must The wheels now are over the ridges, headed off the ravine. They need God to act. They need God to respond. And isn't it amazing that his solution to their unfaithfulness is to be faithful? That's fascinating to me. When you and I would just give up, I can't stand you anymore. I don't want to be near you. Here is God saying the solution to your unfaithfulness is for me to continue to be me. To continue to be faithful in all that I said I would do. His solution to their stubbornness is to be the same at all times. To be God. And we get a little sampling of who God is here, don't we? We learn once again, as often brought up in the scriptures, that he is creator He who forms the mountains, creates the wind. Who is this God they need to prepare to meet? He is sovereign ruler of all. All authority belongs to him. Everything is at his disposal. He creates mountains. He brings the wind. His resources will not grow thin or weak. Prepare, because his wrath will be full. Prepare to meet your God who declares to man his thoughts. That one's kind of hard to hear, isn't it? Prepare to meet your God because he declares man his thoughts. He knows them all. You see, they cannot hide. God knows our thoughts. Hide all you want this morning. But the God, creator of all things, he declares our thoughts. He knows them well. Prepare to meet the one who knows all your secrets. Prepare, because God is the one who controls light and darkness. He can make the morning be as darkness. He is in control. Prepare to meet God because he judges correctly. He walks and treads upon high places. How does he judge correctly? Because his view is clear. Because he sees all. His stopping ground is anywhere on this earth. As you and I huff and puff to summon a mountain, he just skips over to the next one. His view is clear. Prepare to meet your God, the Lord, the God of hosts. We could say the God of armies. Oh, he has armies. There is little they, you, and I can do. You see, he has a host at his disposal. He does not grow weary. 
And therefore, he will not grow tired in his pursuit. He's got troops. He's got resources. He's got all he needs. He won't easily give up. His wrath will be full. And it's hard for us to even hear that word. But yet what we are seeing and what we've been seeing all throughout Amos is that God has been in hot pursuit of his people. Their wills have gone a little bit farther off the road now. One is hanging off the ledge. And God is desiring to pull them back. Prepare to meet your God. You know, I think there's two major points for us to ponder this morning. I, I trust that even as we look through this, that the Spirit has been working, making connections in your own heart. But perhaps it's wise for me pastorally to be just plain this morning. And in, in light of the text, if, if I understand good expositional preaching is the shape and feel of the text, is the shape and the feel of our time together, let me ask you a few things based upon this point. Stubbornness is to reject the grace of God. Stubbornness is not just being difficult, though you are. Stubbornness at the heart is to reject the grace of God. I got this figured out. I would do things my own way. Surely I know what is best for me. Surely I know how to respond. Surely I'm the final authority in my life. And yet you examine your life and at every turn it's falling apart. And yet our stubbornness prevails. Let me make it even just more plain this morning. And I do this because I've been thinking about this this week, okay? So now it's your turn, as I always say. Where is the Lord convicting that you are ignoring? Myself and a group of men have been meeting consistently, examining Amos together. Friday mornings, 5.30. And we came to this text, and that realization popped. It was like, great, now i got to go all weekend and think about that. <laughs> and it's intended to feel that way this morning, brothers and sisters, and those visiting with us. Do you make a regular habit just to ignore the Lord's work in your life? Can I remind you this morning, the Lord will not grow weary in pursuing you. Praise the Lord. And terrifying. <laughs> Praise the Lord that he loves us enough to not give up. To continue to pursue. To let us be aware of just how dangerous our actions are. And in that pursuit, it should wake us up like the smelling salt across our nostrils. Go, oh, there it is. Do you make it a regular habit just to ignore have your time in the Word gotten less and less because every time you go, you just don't want to deal with the conviction? Let me pose a couple more questions. How long can you put off seeking forgiveness from someone you hurt? How long can you refuse forgiveness from someone who has come to you asking forgiveness? How long do you think you can do that? How long can you push away the conviction over angry outbursts you have in your home? How long can you push that aside thinking it's no big deal, but yet the Lord is working on you? And here's a difficult one. How long do you think you can hide in the darkness of night, clicking away on one pornographic website after another? How long? 
How long do you think you can hide in a dangerous and destructive behavior? Could you hear this morning that in grace the Lord is pursuing you? That in grace the Lord is waving a huge sign. Hey, seek help. Grab someone. Expose. And find relief. Don't let it be full on nothing but condemnation, but let it be a moment to where we can go, oh, yes, I will do something about that. You are not alone in that. How long do you think you can test the patience of the Lord? How long can you ignore your selfishness? How long do you think your family can endure your selfishness? Stubbornness, even as I read those things, stubbornness is to reject the grace of God right now, looking you in the eyes going, let's stop. Looking you in the eyes and for the first time to say, let's work on this. Because the wheels are hanging off the cliff. And the next step is complete, utter destruction. Brothers and sisters, don't reject the grace of God in this moment. As he works on our hearts, grab your spouse, grab a brother or sister. And let the light, let the light penetrate the areas of our life that we want to hide so much because they will indeed catch up with us. The ridges are on the road so that we will be safe. These warnings are declared this morning so that we will not dive into destruction. I'll admit, those things are heavy but I think we could agree they must be dealt with. And that's another grace of God, right? That we actually can. But I want to remind you this morning, though those things are heavy and they must be dealt with, could I implore you to also rejoice? Because God's solution always is to remain faithful to his promises and his character. This is how God has been and will always be. Despite your unfaithfulness, he remains faithful. His steadfast love, his faithfulness, it compels him to be himself at all times, even in correcting, even in letting us feel the weight of our sin. And is this not exactly what happens in Christ. God being faithful to his promises. He could have looked at us and said, you know what? Y'all, I'm done with. <laughs> but in Christ, he fulfills all that he said he would do. You see, Christ is the provision. Christ is the faithfulness of God on display. Who, by the way, receives the full range of miseries that we deserve? You see, it's in him where all things collide. And God being faithful is what we desperately need him to be. Because it brings us Christ. This morning, perhaps I should borrow some phrases from good old John the Baptist, whose greatest message was what? Or his greatest task, prepare the way of the Lord. How can I prepare you to meet God? Through Christ. And then this morning, do not let your stubbornness reject the grace of God. O Christian who has walked with God for a while, 
but yet struggling in sin, look to Christ again. See the provisions in him. See the faithfulness of God who is yet pursuing you again. And this morning, let not your stubbornness, rejection of Christ, keep you, keep you from the God who is full of mercy. This morning, it is important that we don't soon let go of whatever the Lord is doing in your heart. If your heart is stirring, that is good. If your mind is spinning, that is good good. Would you grab someone? Would you grab myself, grab our uh, Pastor Jared, myself, any number of folks? We would love to continue to talk through this, but brothers and sisters, let us not be stubborn and reject the grace of God in this moment to pursue us to greater maturity and for some to pursue us so that we will respond in faith and repentance. Receive his grace and mercy this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, what a fascinating text this morning. And oftentimes, <laughs> that, that is the case. Oh, it, just, it, it just feels so inadequate to, to grab the depth and fullness of this text. And this morning, my greatest comfort is that you are way better. You are way better at taking your word and applying it to our hearts. That spirit, part of your work is to convict, and so I lean into that and I trust that through the proclamation of your word that you have worked. Let us be a church that is willing to engage our hearts, willing to repent, willing to, to seek out help in areas of sinful habits. Father, please don't stop pursuing us. Please don't stop pursuing us. Do all that you need to do to awaken us to the devastation of our actions, but also to the goodness of your grace. Father, it is in your holy and precious name that we pray this morning. Amen. Thank you, Brian, for bringing the truth of God's word, truth that is at the same time very convicting, but also so comforting through the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and grace. Uh, before we leave this morning, uh, another uh, two more announcements. First one, uh, we are continuing to take our offering. Excuse me. We are continuing to take our offering in the back on your way out. We'd ask that you leave that there. And also, if you filled out that connection card, that would be a wonderful place to put it there. And uh, we, we take those, write those down, share those prayer requests throughout the church family. We will be praying for you. Thank you for that. And one other announcement. Hopefully I have a slide. There it is. We have a members meeting in fellowship time coming up Sunday, March 26th at 4 p.m. We will hear some testimonies of some people, have some new members to the church, and give updates on what's happening in the church. Uh, we really value membership here at Light in the Desert and really would encourage all of you that are members to please come and be a part of that gathering and be encouraged by all the things that God is doing. Well, thank you again for joining us this morning. And before we leave, we'd ask that you would stand and we'll be dismissed by the reading of God's word. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and in love. You're dismissed. <laughs>